When you study the letters of the New Testament, sometimes it feels like you're reading somebody else's mail, which is frowned upon, I believe. I haven't done that recently. <clears throat> but the overarching theme of Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, as John talked about last week and as he just mentioned, is that God is putting all things back together again. He's cleaning up the mess that we have made, the mess that we've made between us and God, and the mess that we continue to make with each other. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, having never actually met them in person. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. When you read Paul's letters, you discover that he prays often. He prays for many churches, including Christians that he has never met. And the content of Paul's prayers continue to challenge the shallowness, the selfishness of my own prayer life. They are rich in theology, but they also reflect a sincere desire to see others have a flourishing faith. Much of Paul's prayer here in Ephesians is about the church having wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of God. Like a good Presbyterian, Paul wants his churches to be informed and educated. But like many good Presbyterians forget, knowledge of God does not come only through books and lectures. God is alive, active, and always teaching at church as you read your Bible, sure but especially when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're in your garden, when you're in your car, when you're at the gym, God is teaching us wherever we are because that's where God is. Paul prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know God. In many ways, Ephesians is about the church being united in Christ, but above all else, Ephesians, along with the whole of Scripture, is not really about us. It's not about the church. It's about God, the living God. You see, for us, for so many of us, the problem is that we don't know God. Or at least we don't know the living God who is active, who is moving. So many Christians live life for functional, for all functional purposes as if they are an atheist or an agnostic. We might say we believe in God, but we go through life, admittedly or not, expecting nothing at all. Expecting God to be withdrawn. Expecting God to be dead. 
in my work with college students, it became evident that whether or not they believed in Jesus, whether or not they were a Christian, most of them did not see God as a loving and involved father, but a distant and removed deity who is not personal. And still others, both young and old, continue to confuse God For a ruthless judge who is angry and vindictive. I remember during my college days, a local pastor preaching a sermon entitled, God Hates You. This was a large church with many young people. Maybe you had a pastor earlier in your life, preach fire and brimstone, and that still shapes how you see God. Or maybe you've been let down by God. God has disappointed you. God did not answer that prayer that you so desperately prayed for. And so you have come to expect a God of disappointment. And for us, as the church, what does Paul pray for? He prays that we may come to know God as he truly is. Not a God who is absent but Emmanuel, who stands with us in our suffering. Not a God of anger, but a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not a God of disappointment, but a God who changes our expectations and bends us toward his will, a God who transforms disappointment into joy and peace. What do you really believe about God? Because if you're confused, look to Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. Paul prays that the church come to know God, and as he does so, he reminds us that being a Christian entails wanting others to know God. If you don't want others to know God, friends, I seriously wonder if you truly know God. It's not about forcing God or your faith on others, but if you really believe that Jesus has the words of life, if you really believe that he saves and redeems and forgives and loves, then why wouldn't you want others to know that? Of course, there's another reason people are confused about God. It's the church. 
So many have walked away from God because they have been let down, not necessarily by God, but by his people, his followers. In verse 23, Paul calls the church the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ. Throughout his letters, Paul uses different metaphors to describe the church. Body, temple, bride. Think of a well-functioning human body that can run and work and sing and dance with all of these moving parts. Or imagine a stunning temple made of smooth stone and high ceilings, strong and reverent. Or picture a bride on her wedding day, radiant and beautiful, full of hope and joy. This is how Paul talks about the church. What? Did you hear all that? A body, a bride, a temple? Don't get me wrong. I love the church. God loves the church. But have you ever been to a committee meeting, my friends? There is absolutely nobody there wearing a wedding dress. I believe it's frowned upon. Now, the church is filled with flawed people, especially in the pastorate. It's kind of expecting an amen, but... And Paul knows this. He's well aware of the imperfections of the church. He dealt with many of them when he wrote his letters 1 Corinthians, Romans, Colossians, Galatians. In most of Paul's letters, he's addressing some kind of controversy or problem in the church. Paul isn't blind to the reality. He just wants the church to grow up. He wants us to truly own our real and natural identity that God gives us. He says in Ephesians 4, we must no longer be children. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. As the church, we have to own our flaws and our mistakes, and we have to wholeheartedly turn away from injustice, greed, sexism, racism, and pride, and we have to understand that when people, when the world sees the love of God in tangible ways within the church, then it gives people a chance to see the real power of God within the church. In our scripture this morning, Paul prays that the church come to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Dunamas is the word there where we get our word dynamite. His power. His power, as Paul says, for us who believe. The power of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead, Paul says. This power is available to us. 
Not just in the power of our own resurrection, but the power here and now by way of God's Spirit. The power can be supernatural, miracles happen, absolutely. But only by the will of God. This power is for us, but we do not control God's power. We surrender to it. Paul points to the resurrection when talking about God's power so that we can understand the enormity, the greatness of his power. But on a daily basis, it might not always look overt or supernatural. But make no mistake, God's power is limitless. The power of God is carried out by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God's power is boundless and it is made perfect in our weakness, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. It doesn't always look and operate the way we expect, and often for us, the power of God is found when we are humble before it. The power of God can be as marvelous as the creation of life from nothing, or can be as ordinary as a group of volunteers compelled to care for an ill elderly widow to whom they have no relation. It's powerful. The power of God could be a miraculous healing, or it could be a dramatic display of unity in the church. The power of God can create systemic change on a global level or the power of God could help an addict find sobriety and freedom through treatment and community. This power is available to us. The power of God for us who believe And Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God, far above the rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, this King Jesus is putting all things back together, and he has the power to do it. And whether it looks like it or not, whether the church looks like it or not, God is making a restored and renewed people. The church, the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Without Christ, the church is empty. And without each other, the body is not whole. 
Jesus said that they will know you are my disciples for your love for one another. Paul will continue in Ephesians explaining that the gospel brings people together. Jews and Gentiles are coming together. God is making a new people who are one in Christ. A lot could be said about division and conflict in our country right now. The truth is, evil is real. There are forces that are seeking to split us and divide us as a church, to pull us apart. And it's an easy time for that to happen right now. But as the body of Christ, a major part of our mission in and of itself is unity and diversity. God bringing all people together and God using all kinds of people. I think one of the most important things happening in this church right now is the Urdu service. It's going to be at five o'clock. God bringing all people from different places together, working as one. In a time of great conflict and strife, where racism and abuse and oppression persist, church family, we have an incredible, monumentous opportunity to be a radical witness to the power of God by our unity, our unwavering commitment to stay together, to stay the course, to say that the gospel is the most important thing and we will stay together no matter how different we are, no matter how much these forces seek to split us apart, no matter what that person says or what this person does, the church will be one. This is our mission, to be together simply for the sake of being together. We might not always look like a healthy, strong body, but by the power of Christ, the God who can bring a dead body back to life, this God who has that power is our head is our Christ, and we are his body. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you that you indeed are bringing all things back together. Lord, help us to have faith, help us to see it, and help us to be a part of it, God even when we're discouraged, even when it doesn't make sense, even when these forces are trying to split us or drive us apart by your power, by your spirit that unites us, one in Christ through faith, Lord, we ask that you would come, that you would bring us back together. As individuals, Lord, put us back together and as a church, 
not just in this congregation, but around the world and in our country, we pray that the church would be one in its mission. We ask that you would use us, O God. And as we prepare to give our tithes and our offerings as an act of worship, Lord, we ask that you would take these resources, that you would use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.